you're able to join in Hebrew and in English, please do so. Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Et Derech HaYeshua, BeYeshua Meshicheinu. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has granted us the way of salvation through Yeshua, our Messiah. You may have heard that this Sunday at 9 o'clock, the Jewish community worldwide has been called to pray for the coming of Messiah. I never thought I'd live to, to hear that. Because much of the time, I would say the vast majority of Jewish people that I have talked to consider Messiah as a non-issue. Because most of the time, Messiah is considered something that belongs to the the ultra-Orthodox. And the majority of Judaism at this point considers not a personal Messiah, but rather the Messianic era as part of reality. And so hearing that the Jewish community has come together worldwide to pray this was truly astounding to me. And here's the prayer that people were encouraged to recite. Master of the universe, we, the children of Israel, ask for Mashiach, Messiah, to redeem us now and with mercy from exile and all suffering to reveal your name in the world and live in peace. This is somewhat based on the teaching of a, of a rabbi, a leading rabbi of a previous generation, Chafetz Chaim, who said, if only thousands and millions of sincere Jews would show to Hashem how truly they desire Mashiach, he would surely come immediately. It's quite a statement speaking of the hunger among some Jewish people for the Messiah and how all of this came about. You know, this is the age of uh, Facebook and Internet and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it reflects a hunger. It reflects a hunger on the part of people to have answers that transcend who we are, answers that go beyond us. And for us, Messiah is central to who we are. As, as you can hear in our liturgy, Messiah is part of, is the focus of our faith and, and the way of our relationship, the way to having a relationship with God. And by the way, this is something that was very, very normal for th- hundreds of thousands of Jewish people in the first century. And part of the picture for them was keeping the Torah, and that was part of reality. Non-Jews, as the uh, followers of Yeshua became infinitely more and more non-Jewish, they also became anti-Jewish, and they found it difficult to accept the fact that you had all these 
Jews who insist and had a chutzpah to continue to keep the Torah. The synagogue also had difficulty. In fact, we find in the Talmud that uh, the rabbi stated that if someone was sick, it was better for them to die than to have a Messianic Jew pray for their healing. What that means, it means a couple of things. First of all, there were plenty of us around, plenty Messianic Jews around in the first century. And second of all, we had the reputation as those who prayed and God answered their prayers with healing. May it happen more and more today. And may we have some more. But by the seventh century, the picture changed radically. The vast majority of the followers of Yeshua, Jesus, were Gentiles. And so Messianic Jews were squeezed from both sides, both from the non-Messianic synagogue and also from the non-Jewish followers of Yeshua. And so the Jewish Yeshua, the Jewish Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, became a Gentile Jesus. And part of the picture was the fact that accepting Yeshua for a Jew became more and more a non-reality. Part of the picture, for example, was that if a Jew considered the possibility of becoming a follower of Yeshua, he, had, he or she had to renounce their, their heritage and their people. And I read a statement that is recorded from the 4th uh, century, 4th or 5th century, that indicates just how severe it was. A person who wanted to accept Yeshua and become um, a follower by immersing, immersing themselves had to confess and denounce verbally the, the entire Jewish people and declare with a whole heart and sincere faith that they desire to be received among Christians and totally renounce anything having to do with Judaism and their people. And here is part of the the verbiage, the wording, that I found particularly severe and frankly inappropriate. I renounce all customs, rites, legalisms, unleavened breads, and sacrifice of the lamb of the Hebrews and all the other feasts of the Hebrews, etc. In one word, I renounce absolutely everything Jewish, every law, right, and custom. And I join myself to the true Christ and God. Thus, with my whole heart and soul, I embrace with the true faith that I have come to the, excuse me, I've come to the Christian faith. But if it is with deceit and hypocrisy and not with sincere and perfect faith and a genuine love of Christ, but with a pretense to be a Christian that I come and afterwards I shall wish to deny and return to Jewish superstition or shall be found eating with Jews or feasting with them or secretly conversing and condemning the Christian religion...
Then let the trembling of Cain and the leprosy of Gehazi cleave to me, as well as the legal punishment to which I acknowledge myself liable. And may I be anathema in the world to come, and may my soul be set down with Satan and the devils. Can you imagine how a Jewish person would feel as they were considering the possibility of the Messiahship of Yeshua? Part of the picture here is that Jews who did follow through were called Meshumadim, which literally means those who are destroyed or lost to Judaism. This, by the way, has continued um, to our day and age. In fact, if, if you have seen a debate between uh, a leading rabbi, Shmuli Boteach, and Dr. Michael Brown, who is a Messianic Jew, Shmuli referred to his friend Michael as one who is lost to his people. So part of our pain during this season is remembering the fact that Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, has been separated from his physical brothers for much of the past 2,000 years. And like Joseph, Yeshua wants to reveal himself to his brothers. This separation has been very painful to him. And we know that because when Yeshua was contemplating the separation, he wept over Jerusalem and he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chick, her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So for us, as we consider the prayers of Jewish people for the coming of Messiah, we experience the pain that our people experience during the season, particularly because of the fact that there's so much angst as Jewish people approach God during the High Holy Days. During the days that lead up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, there are penitential prayers that are recited, which are called slichot, or literally forgivenesses. And this is part of the recognition on the part of traditional Judaism that much or some of the suffering that we have experienced has come because of our sin and have been due to God's punishment. And this is a theme that you find throughout the High Holy Days, the sense of fear and trembling in, in approaching God and I saw a prayer, I was reminded of a prayer called Unetanei Tokif, let us express the full weight of this day. And I wanted to read to you a portion of this prayer. Let us now relate the power of this day's holiness, for it is awesome and frightening. On it your kingship will be exalted. Your throne will be firmed with kindness and you will sit upon it in truth. It is true that you alone are the one who judges, proves, knows, and bears witness, who writes and, and seats, counts and calculates, who remembers all that was forgotten. You will open the book of Chronicles. It will read itself, and everyone's signature is in it. 
the great shofar will be sounded and a still thin sound will be heard. Angels will hasten and trembling and terror will seize them and they will say, behold, it is the day of judgment to muster the heavenly host for judgment for they cannot be vindicated in your eyes in judgment. It is fearsome, isn't it? To consider this aspect of God, which we know the Bible reveals to us that God is indeed a righteous judge, but at the same time, there is the merciful aspect of who God is that scripture reveals to us just as vividly, particularly in the prophets. And as you read the prophets, particularly Isaiah, you see how God, who is both the judge, longs to be connected to his people, longs to comfort his people, longs to restore his people. And particularly, we find that in Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Also in Isaiah 66, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. Isaiah 51, the Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wasteland like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. This is so clearly the function of the one who was to come, and that is the Messiah. We see that in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, stood in his hometown synagogue after reading this passage and announced, today this scripture is fulfilled in your sight. Now this is an incredibly gutsy statement. And you can have only three possible responses to it. One, he he was a lunatic. Two, he was a deceiver. Three, he is indeed the Messiah. Lord knows we have all kinds of lunatics. We call them in Jewish Meshuganes. You see that especially in Jerusalem where you will find at any given day at least one or two Jesus, uh, one or two John the Baptist and a number of other characters who are convinced that that is indeed their reality. So yes, there are all kinds of lunatics. And by the way, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I saw an ad in the Jerusalem Post mentioned at uh, services that Messiah is here 
and that he is in Tel Aviv. Now, the name wasn't mentioned, and they didn't give the evidence for it, but that was the case, according to this ad, and you can dive into ultra-Orthodox explanations and never emerge out of it. There are all kinds of deceivers. There are all kinds of deceivers, um, con people, and there have been all kinds of messiahs, people who have proclaimed themselves as the Messiah, beginning with Bar Kochva in 132 and then 1666, Shabtai Tzvi and so on and so forth. There are all kinds of deceivers. But there's also one true Messiah. For us who have embraced him, we have experienced the comfort that's available through our relationship with God. We know that he is indeed the Messiah, that he's not a pretender. And if you're here worshiping with us and you're hearing this and you have not experienced a relationship with God through the Messiah, let me encourage you, let me urge you, in fact, that during this season when you are seeking God and you're seeking atonement, that God is very much there, very much available, because the prophets, in particular in Jeremiah, tells us, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Atonement is available. So for us who have chosen to follow him, his disciples, we have a mandate to spread the message of our rabbi, the Messiah of Israel. It is an imperative. It is not a suggestion. It is a command. And since this is the message of restoration, we cannot hoard it and keep it to ourselves. The prophet Isaiah in the same passage in chapter 40 tells us, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a mountain. You who bring tidings, good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And we at Yeshua Tzion are committed to that task. Yeshua Tzion means salvation of Zion, which implies that salvation came from or through Zion, the nation of Israel, to the nations. It also means that salvation needs to come back to Zion, that the message of restoration needs to come back to the people of Israel, especially during the season. And this is the heart of our Messiah. As he was looking out over Jerusalem, he also made the following statement. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We long for that day. We long for that day to be fully realized that our nation, the nation of Israel, will look at Yeshua the Messiah and will embrace him. Let's pray.
Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, we acknowledge and recognize your sovereign majesty and your absolute holiness. And we stand in awe of you, recognizing the fact, Lord, that we are not worthy to come into your presence. Recognizing our sin, our shortcomings, our failures, and at the same time recognizing and rejoicing in the fact that you have made a way for us to come into your presence. We thank you, Lord God, that you are gracious, that you promise to heal the apostasy and waywardness of your nation and to love them freely. And Lord God, we pray that that would indeed become more fully reality, that more and more of your people Israel would turn to you, Lord, and embrace their Messiah. We pray, Lord, for all of us who have done so, Lord God, that your Ruach, your Spirit, would stir us and give us the zeal and the power to do just that, to communicate, to convey the fact that you have provided atonement on the Day of Atonement. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. Amen.